0: Amen. Good morning, church family. It is such a joy uh, to worship the Lord with you together this morning. And if you're visiting with us, we're especially grateful to have you. Last week, Pastor Todd began our uh, annual Gospel Priorities Series when he very helpfully opened up the Gospel of Matthew as we discuss some of the more important themes um, in this series. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at the very text In which this series is based Luke chapter 4 starting at verse 16 through verse 30 if you have your bibles turn there and let's read them together and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and a report went about him throughout all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up And he scrolled up this scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said to them, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in our hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the word of the Lord The grass withers, and the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Many of us broken, many of us weary, some of us barely holding on for reasons um, that others don't know about. All of us desperate for a renewed vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, would you open up our eyes and our ears Uh, to the power of the gospel and the glory of Jesus. Uh, Not that we'd be simply informed, but truly transformed. We pray this in the blessed name of King Jesus. Amen. Um, I was going to start this morning by uh, framing our text uh, in the context of an inauguration speech a speech that a leader would normally uh, make as he begins um, his uh, new work, as he ascends the office. And that's essentially what Jesus does here in our passage. Um, as he begins his ministry, he pronounces, he reveals who he is and what he has come here to do. But in light of recent events, um, I would rather want to frame this in the context of uh, the day of Epiphany. You know, it's no secret that all of us are broken sinners who live in a very dark and broken world. Um, It's no secret either that those realities have become all the more obvious over the past years where, where we've seen great acts of hate and violence, all of which which we saw on display on January 6th, this past Wednesday, where yet again we saw more darkness, more hatred, more wickedness, more hopelessness. And it was on that day on Wednesday on January 6th where many people in our country wept and they felt down deep in their bones that all is not right with this world. And many people, maybe for the first time, thought to themselves that there is nothing in this world or in our country that could possibly fix these things. At least that's my prayer, church. Because it's only when we realize that there is not hope to be found here that we begin to Search for where true hope is found. I don't think it's an accident that what happened this past Wednesday, a day that will forever be remembered in our history, happened on the day of Epiphany. The day that the true Christian church celebrates the manifestation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of God's answer to the problems in this world, including the problems in our own heart. The pronouncement that light has shone in the darkness, that there is hope for a helpless people, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Church, that is the good news that the world is desperate for. And that is the news that we need to be reminded of this morning as well. It's the news that we find in our passage in Luke chapter 4. A little bit of context. Following Jesus' baptism where he is anointed by the Holy Spirit to fulfill all righteousness. It is then that he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he defeats Satan. He rejects Satan's temptation. He rejects the kingdom of this world, the promise of political power and earthly glory. He succeeds where Adam and Israel failed before him. It is from there, again, that he is led by the Spirit into the countryside of Galilee where he begins his ministry. And this is where our passage picks up. He returns to his hometown, Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue to preach as was his custom. And it was in that sermon that he makes his inauguration speech. The truth and the hope that everyone needs to hear today. The good news of who he is, the good news of his mission, and the need of a response. Those three things. So first off, the good news of his identity. Can you imagine what it would have been like that day in the synagogue? Remember, this was his hometown church. He grew up here. And all the people in attendance would have known him as a little boy with a runny nose and scuffed knees. As he grew up, many of the people in attendance that day would have bought furniture from him and his family. But here at the age of 30, they've heard great stories, fantastic stories about this young man they once knew. So fantastic, in fact, he's actually now a celebrity. Fame has gone about him throughout the, throughout the countryside. Here in Nazareth, we have a local celebrity. I mean, they were, they were uh, incredibly excited by this. But not only that, they hear that here comes his hometown celebrity and he's coming back home. And not just that, he's going to preach in church. And so with much excitement and also curiosity, they head to synagogue that day. And once they get there, they see the place is packed out, standing room only. And so they get in there the best they can. You might be there, and they're standing in the back room. And, and finally, they see Jesus of Nazareth. He stands up and he's, he's handed the scroll. And he reads Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2, and Isaiah 58, verse 6. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment but I want you to understand that those two passages were extremely important for Israel. Extremely important and Jesus chose to read from them purposefully. Uh, There's two phrases I just want to draw our attention to. The first one is that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Isaiah 61 verse one. That phrase is the designation for God's promised Messiah, Isaiah's servant. It signifies that Yahweh, The God of the Exodus that we've been hearing about through George's sermon over the past two years, that the the, the spirit of the God of Yahweh, he who has delivered and rescues and defends and avenges his people, it's the spirit of that God who comes upon this anointed one, this anointed one who is said to usher in a new age of unparalleled forgiveness, unparalleled deliverance, justice, and peace. This passage was a fan favorite of everybody in attendance that day. It's like one of us when we wake up on Sunday morning and we see what passage that George is going to preach on. It might be our favorite passage and we get really excited because it means so much to us. It ignites a heart of worship in us. That's what that would have been like for them. But then Jesus does something amazing. He rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendant. And he sits down, which means that he's about to preach. And this is what he says. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In that moment, you could have heard a pin drop. Complete shock. Imaginations in overdrive. Because if this revelation is true, they knew it has changed absolutely everything. This is what Jesus told them. He looked at each of them in the face and he says, I am the one that the prophets point to. I am the long awaited for and hoped for king. I am the son of David. I am the deliverer. I am the rescuer. I am the savior. I am the world ruler. I am the bringer of justice and peace. Salvation has arrived and that has arrived in me. <laughs> Can you imagine just, just think about it. You know what this means? Because it's, it's changed everything for us too. I, just think about this. I know that sometimes it feels impossible to believe this, but it means that there truly is hope to be found. And it also means that you and I know where to find it it's not found in a president. It's not found in politics. It's not found in prosperity. It's not found in this world, but it is found in a person and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he says to every single one of us this morning. I am the one that you've been searching for. I am the one that you've longed for. I'm the one that your hearts pine for. Now you're able to cease from your labor of searching in other people and other things because hope has dawned, salvation has come in me. That's what they heard that day. And that's the good news that every single person today needs to hear in church that we need to be reminded of, the good news of who Jesus Christ is. He not only reveals his identity, he also reveals the good news of his mission. Now, there's so much to be said here, but there's a few points I want to really focus in on. First off, it's a focused mission, this mission of Jesus. Now, that is, that he has come to serve and to save and to deliver a, a specific people. He says, those who are poor, prisoners, and oppressed. Now, as Pastor Todd said last week, we know that that word poor, it means the spiritually poor. There are lots of uh, rich folks who are spiritually poor. There's a spiritual bent to this word poor and all the other descriptions we find in Luke 4. For example, prisoners, those who are held in bondage to sin, the blind, those who are trapped in darkness and desperate to see and know truth, the oppressed, those who are squashed by life's circumstances, those who have been rejected and devalued and cast aside by others. There's a spiritual bent to these words and they can be applied to an assortment of different types of people. However, it just so happens that those who are economically poor and those who are socially disenfranchised are the ones who are usually most aware of their spiritual poverty and thus are more readily responsive to the gospel This is the truth that that Jesus makes us aware of in the parable of the rich young ruler later in Luke chapter 18. It's when you're in the position of realizing that there is not hope found in this world or in yourself that you become more responsive to the good news and the hope of the gospel of Jesus. Furthermore, we see all throughout the scriptures that God simply loves the poor. He loves the disenfranchised. He is the defender of the weak. And we're told over and over and over again that he executes justice for the oppressed. That's his heart. Now think about how amazing this news is, how countercultural it is. Friends, Friends, we live in a world that values strength, success, and power, and beauty, and shows disdain for those who cannot help themselves. We live in a world that prioritizes the self and one's own tribe, but rejects whoever that is they consider to be an other. But here's the good news, a new kingdom has dawned. And what Jesus tells us is that anybody who is weary and needs rest, anybody who mourns and needs comfort, anybody who fails or is a failure and needs strength, and anybody who sins and needs a savior, Jesus says, come to me and you shall find it. It's a beautiful mission. It's specific. It's also holistic. Now, oftentimes, uh, there are many different circles in the greater church that forgets this, that the ministry of Jesus in the church, it's, it's a holistic one. Pastor Esau Macaulay says this, that there are those who treat the poor as bodies that need food and not the transforming love of God. There's also others who view them only as souls to be one without any regard for the here and now. Both are errors, and are false religion that have little to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. James says the very same thing in his epistle, that true faith, or faith rather, without the manifestation of good works and love for neighbor is a dead faith. As Todd told us last week, Jesus Christ and his ministry, the kingdom in which he embodies and is bringing, involves nothing less than the creation of a new world. He has power over all realms of human existence and his salvation touches every aspect of our lives. Now to be sure, his word ministry is paramount. We see that even in this passage. Three of the four action verbs is that word proclaim. The most dire need that anybody has is is new birth, which comes through hearing of the gospel, Paul tells us in Romans 10. But make no mistake, the ministry of Jesus and his church is a holistic one, soul and body, word and deed. That original audience would have understood that that day. Isaiah 61, it alludes to the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25, which speaks of a comprehensive forgiveness, a comprehensive deliverance. A comprehensive salvation. Uh, The very reason that Jesus includes Isaiah 58 verse 6 with this reading, a chapter by the way, which speaks of true faith and repentance which manifests itself in acts of justice and kindness and mercy for your neighbor. The reason that he combines those is because he wants us to have a vision. This grand vision that it's through heart level transformation, people being saved and being made new, that a new society would emerge where truth and justice and peace would prevail. This is what Jesus demonstrates throughout his ministry throughout the rest of the gospel of Luke. And it's this vision that the apostle John gives us for that end time when Christ returns and makes all things new. But the great news is that Jesus says that that end time kingdom, this kingdom has broken into the now. Uh, No, we're not gonna be perfect in this life. We won't be perfectly healed in this life. We're still broken. The world is still broken. Uh, We're waiting for the consummation of all things. Jesus has simply inaugurated this, but but in the meantime, Jesus tells us that we are to to pray and we're to serve and we're to live in light of that day to come. On earth as it is in heaven, Jesus taught us to pray, which we pray every Sunday and we'll pray again this morning. So it's a holistic mission. Thirdly, I want us to see that it's a multi-ethnic one. As good Presbyterians, we know from our biblical theology that this has always been God's uh, initiative. This has been a part of his program. We see it explicitly in the promises made to Abraham, but we see it explicitly again uh, this morning, later in our passage, when Jesus refers to the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. He mentions two people, Zarephath and, Na- and Naaman. One who is, one who is um, monetarily poor, one who is monetarily rich, both however aware of their spiritual poverty and both Gentiles who were loved and rescued by God. Jesus's point in sharing those two stories from the Old Testament was to tell those in Nazareth back then and really us today that that the kingdom that Jesus is building and bringing is infinitely more beautiful than we could ever possibly imagine it's not just for the pious Jew. It's not just for the greater Israel. It's not just for one race. It's not just for one socioeconomic group. It's not just for one political party. It's not just for one sub theological group. Jesus says that I have come to redeem a great multitude from every nation, tongue, tribe, and people. And the apostle Paul tells us that as those who are different but united together in the Lord Jesus Christ, we put on display the manifold wisdom and glory of God and the power of the gospel as together we proclaim the good news of Jesus in a world that desperately needs it and we humbly serve and love the poor and the oppressed together. And as we wait for Christ to return and make all things new, we can trust that he is sovereignly sitting on his throne working out everything for the good of his people, for his own glory, and the furtherance of his kingdom. There's so much more that we could say about Jesus' inaugural speech that morning, but friends, this is the good news that Jesus shares with everyone, the good news of who he is and what he has come to do, and what an amazing gospel it is. The long-awaited-for Messiah has come. All allegiance is owed him, And the one who is in true power and authority of all things has come not to abuse his power, but rather to serve and to save us. And the kingdom which he is bringing is not about maintaining status quo, but it's about making all things new. It's a kingdom not of this world and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That is the good news, friends, that the world needs to hear and the church needs to be reminded of. Which leads us to our third point. The reason that Luke places this passage where he does at the beginning of his gospel is so that we might know that this gospel, this amazing gospel, demands a response. And to be sure, there's only two responses, to either reject it or receive it. Now, we might say to ourselves, who in their right mind would reject a gospel this good? (laughs) Well, his hometown did. Can you imagine, again, think about being in that synagogue, hearing these words fall off the lips of Jesus. And how amazing that would have been. They responded the way that you think they might at first. We are told they marveled at his words of grace. They marveled at it. They thought to themselves, could this be? But that didn't last long. Soon their wonder transformed into wrath. And the man they grew up with and had known for 30 years, they are ready to murder. They rejected him completely. What did they reject? First off, they rejected his identity. We see this in verse 22. After they marveled at his words and they thought to themselves, man, what an amazing sermon. They thought to think, wait a minute, isn't this Joe's boy? That was a great sermon, Jesus, a little idealistic, but but stay in your lane, all right? Barbara, what's for lunch? That's how they responded to this sermon that morning, which tells us something very important. It's possible to be too familiar with Jesus, so familiar, in fact, that you won't take him seriously. They were inoculated to him. It's possible to be so close to Jesus, especially here in the Bible Belt, where we here grow up with stories about Jesus. We might even have a, a favorite verse about Jesus. We know about Jesus, but it's possible never come to face to face with him as he presents himself in the scriptures, which is a very dangerous place to be because as soon as the Jesus of the Bible does not meet the expectations of the Jesus that we want, we will reject him. That's what happened in Nazareth that day, and unfortunately, that's what happens all the time in the church. They rejected his identity, also rejected his mission. Turns out the only reason they loved Jesus of Nazareth was because he was from Nazareth. That's what those stories about Elijah and Elisha's ministry exposed in them. Ever since, ever since Adam, all of us have had prideful hearts, tribalistic hearts. And as soon as they heard that Jesus say that his gospel wasn't just for them, that this gospel is for all peoples, including those people that they don't find desirable, like Gentiles and unclean people, even their enemies... Because that would mean they would have to love their enemies. As soon as they heard that, as soon as they heard Jesus say that he's going to offer forgiveness and mercy and grace to everyone who would respond to him in faith and repentance, they rejected him outright. And the truth is, friends, every one of us either today or at some point have been just like those townspeople in Nazareth. And the reason is is because it's our natural bent to be like the Pharisee in the temple that day that when he saw the tax collector he said in his heart, God, thank you that I'm not like that sinner. Do you know who left justified that day? He was the tax collector. Because he was aware of his spiritual poverty and that his only hope was to throw himself onto the mercy lap of the Lord. And friends, the point is, is, it's only when we're in that spot, when we are aware of our spiritual poverty, that this kingdom that he is bringing in makes sense to us, and that we are responsive to the gospel. Friends, do you have any idea why Jesus escaped that day? It was because of grace. Jesus didn't leave those people in order to preserve his own life. He left those people because his time had not yet come. He left them because there was another death that he needed to die. Jesus left Nazareth that day not to condemn those people, but because he knew that he needed to fulfill all righteousness. He, he knew that he needed to march towards the cross. He knew that he needed to be handed over to Pilate. He knew that he needed to hang on a tree. He knew that he needed to take on wave after wave after wave of the curse. He knew that he needed to die for people who would reject him, like those back then and like us today. His grace. Friends, do you have any idea? Did you notice when in our responsive reading, when we read Isaiah 61, there was a phrase that we didn't mention? The, uh, the day of vengeance of the Lord. Do you know why Jesus left out that phrase when he preached that day in the synagogue? It wasn't because he was being fast and loose with the scriptures. Nor was it because that uh, judgment wasn't coming. It is. But the good news of his mission is that day is not today. Today is the day of grace. Today is the day of amnesty. Today is the day of deliverance for all who might come to him in faith and repentance. And the only reason, the only reason that he confronts us now in his word is not to condemn us. When he pricks our consciences and our heart with his word, it's it's not to condemn us, but it's to make us aware of our spiritual poverty. And so that we might be in a position to receive his gospel of grace. Now friends, if you were in that spot, uh, there's two things that Jesus says to us, and then we'll wrap up. First off, if you don't know Jesus, but you are aware of your spiritual poverty, this is what Jesus says to you. He says, Come to me. If you are poor in spirit, if you are broken and hurting, if you feel lost, if you're imprisoned to some sin that you want freedom from, if you've been devalued by others, if you've been rejected, He won't reject you. He won't cancel you. No matter how far you've walked away from him, all it takes is one step back towards him and he wraps you up in his arms and he makes you family now and forever. Come to me, Jesus says. For those of us that do know Jesus and are a member of his church, this is what Jesus says. He says, join me. That's what he says to a second. He says, join me. He says in John, just as the Father has sent me into the world, now I send you. And what does he send us to do? His mission. How amazing is this church? How dignifying is it? We have been given the greatest purpose in the history of the world. His answer to the brokenness and to the wickedness out there. It's not a politician. It's not, it's not anything of this world. It's you, Church those who know that they're poor in spirit, but have been filled and anointed by his spirit, who pray, who live and work for the deliverance of captives, for the recovering of sight for the blind, and who will boldly proclaim the good news that hope has dawned, salvation has come in Christ alone. Jesus says, join me. Church, in days such as these, with all the grief and anger and all the rest that's around us, it is easy to become hopeless. It's easy to be distracted of what it is that we are supposed to be doing. It's sometimes very difficult to even know what it is that we're supposed to do as the church. I'm reminded, though, of the early church. The time when it was not easy to be a Christian, that if you stuck your neck out for the For the sake of Christ, you're liable to get it cut off. It was during a time such as that, though, that Christianity remarkably spread like wildfire. People all over the social spectrum were becoming Christians. Communities were being transformed. Do you know why? To his dismay, um, Roman Emperor Julian tells us, And it wasn't because they had the right guy in office. It wasn't because they had the moral majority, they didn't. This is what he says. Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. He's writing to those in his employ. He says, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. Why those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. friends, the early church, a mixture of Jew and Gentile, poor people that had no political or economic power who were persecuted by those on the left and the right in and outside the church. All they had was the light and the love and the power of Christ. And that's all they needed. And that's what the world needs too. Brothers and sisters, hope has dawned. The world needs to hear it.